future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. Hey everybody, everybody, welcome, welcome. It is Friday, September 30th, the last day of September. Yes, do you remember? Do you remember? Welcome to Raging Chickens Out the Coop podcast. It is our Friday politics roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by, you know, head on over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And listen, if you're listening to the podcast version of this, uh, make sure you leave us that five-star review on Apple iTunes. Leave us that review. You can do it everywhere you get your podcast. You can leave us those five stars. What that does, that basically helps other people find the show. It helps us amplify the voices that we bring on the show. Um, and we can do that with your help. Also, special, special shout out to all our Twitter warriors out there who are always helping us get the word out. We also want to remind you we don't want to let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pack to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Well, on today's show, well, the big news, of course, is that Hurricane Ian um, has devastated Florida and is set to make landfall again this afternoon, this time in South Carolina, um, as a Category 1 storm. At least 19 people are already reported dead in Florida, and the numbers are expected to rise considerably. As one council member in Fort uh, Myers Beach put it, now Fort Myers Beach was one of the areas worst hit by the hurricane, as the way he put it, quote, 90% of the island is pretty much gone. Biden's Department of Education quietly changes rules for some student loan borrowers who were initially promised relief under the recently announced student loan forgiveness program. Yes, they cowed to the fear of Republican lawsuits and Republican talking points. Yep, and Biden's plan will no longer allow borrowers with privately held federal student loans to consolidate those loans into like education department's direct loans in order to qualify for the $10,000 to $20,000 in debt cancellation. So instead of actually having the fight, they've just basically changed the rules without making the kind of public announcement. And now, you know, a good chunk of those students will no longer get that debt relief. Not the way you do politics, Democrats. And the Dallas Morning News reports on a right-wing takeover of North Texas schools that may signal a new chapter in the National Republican playbook to expand their power. And it might sound familiar to listeners of this show. Today, a little closer to home, a little uh, an excellent new report by Ali Shaw from the grassroots watchdog group Little, little Sis tracks the role that PA-based billionaire Jeffrey Yass has 
um, played in fueling Pennsylvania's right-wing machine. As Shaw states in the article, quote, Pennsylvania has a thriving network of right-wing organizations with power and sway over the state government. In recent years, a lesser-known billionaire has started to stand out for his outsized influence over the Pennsylvania right-wing movement, Jeffrey Yass. The right-wing organizations that spend Yass's money consistently and successfully lobby to cut corporate taxes, bust unions, block climate solutions, ban abortion, target trans youth, and prevent what the right calls, quote, critical race theory from being taught in schools. Yep, that's just a little tidbit into this excellent report. And on Wednesday, school board president Joan Cullen was named the worst person in the world by Keith Oberman on his podcast, Countdown. And that's after Penridge High School banned, banned Books Week. Yep, they banned, banned Books Week displays in the library. That ended a 15-year tradition of taking part in the annual National Awareness Campaign, Banned Books Week. Nothing like demonstrating the need for Banned Books Week when you have high schools, thanks to their right-wing extremist school boards, from banning Banned Books Week. Just put, you know, underline it with exclamation points and flashing lights around it. This is why we have Banned Books Week. Crazy. Now, in response to that move... Uh, well, here, let me say this. Uh, it's not in response to it. This is following that move, right? The Penridge School District Administration ordered teachers to remove any advocacy materials from their classrooms by next week. Yet that just happened through a vote that took place this past Tuesday. The school board even suspended its own rules and policies to make sure they could rush the vote. They were supposed to have a second reading of this for further comment, but nope, they wanted to get it done. They recognize that if they wait too much longer, too much opposition is going to come in, so you got to get that in now. Uh, according to reporting in the Philadelphia Inquirer, advocacy materials, quote-unquote, includes LGBTQ pride materials, crosses and other religious symbols, political party symbols, and even images like the Ukrainian flag that signals support for Ukrainians after the Russian invasion. You wouldn't want to offend people kind of pro-supporters of Putin, you know, and the fascist takeover, the rise of the authoritarian and the unlawful kind of seizure of, of land in Ukraine. God forbid, that's like advocacy to support those folks. This is incredible. Well, how long do you think it is? This is the big question. How long do you think it is until the right-wing religious groups are going to follow their lawsuits? And reclaiming religious exemptions for the ability to explain, you know, put their big crucifixes in their classroom. How about that? That's my prediction. Wait for it. Now, in response to the move, the Penridge Education Association, the teachers union there, they released a rather bland cookie cutter statement saying, quote, while new policies may present changes throughout the Penridge School District, our members, the teachers, nurses, counselors, librarians, social workers and psychologists who serve Penridge students, Remain steadfast in our mission to ensuring our students feel welcome, valued, and encouraged to excel as learners. Way to dodge the issue, PEA. I guess that, you know, it gets successful. You know, that big kind of idea, you got this big welcome back thing at the, uh, at the end of the summer. Welcome back picnic where you invite administrators and school board members and teachers and everybody to come together in a little kumbaya moment. I guess you want to make sure that you don't kind of disrupt your good relations with those folks who are basically putting teachers in precarious situations. Is that what the issue is? I suggest you listen to uh, your students, by the way, 
who recorded in Will Bunch's excellent piece um, on what's happening at Penridge and the banning of Banned Books Week. Rachel Reed, I think is her name. Nicole Reed? Rachel Reed? Uh, I'll look that up. Um, who basically said this is like unconscionable what's happening, you know, basically. Um, and Will Bunch kind of named everything what it's what it should be named in that article, right? We'll talk a little bit about that down there. But um, apparently the uh, uh, Pennsylvania uh, State Education Association's local, Robin Reed. Yes, thank you, Cyril. Uh, welcome, Cyril. How you doing? Um, basically... Uh, <laughs> basically uh just kind of is going to kowtow to this and still think that the best way to fight extremism is to keep your head down and not say anything but whatever don't want to ruffle the feathers of the right how many times do i need to say this you don't understand how how devastating this is for me as a like such a dyed in the wool union person to see this kind of stuff I, i don't know i don't know hey amy good morning good morning and today's last call, yes, the Ingenuity Mars helicopter just completed its 33rd flight. Yes, the original mission to see if powered air flight was even possible on Mars. Well, that was expected to only last about a month with a handful of test flights. Instead, Ingenuity has become an exploratory companion of the Perseverance rover. Really freaking amazing. Uh, and NASA Juno's spacecraft just sent back some amazing pictures of Jupiter's ice-encrusted ocean moon Europa. They really were truly remarkable. And then this past Monday, uh, the DART mission, um, they kind of streamed the live crash into an asteroid, right? In the first test of like a proto kind of planetary defense system to see if you could actually divert the uh, trajectory of an asteroid. Um, and they streamed it live and I watched it. It was pretty wild, a little freaky too, but um, there you have it. For more PA Progressive Talk, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can check it out on his YouTube channel, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you get your streams. Just head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms, his TV show on Free Speech TV, his podcast, all that. Make sure you subscribe to that podcast, too, as well. And if you haven't been watching or listening to Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, well, you got to start doing that. So you can find it on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. The amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast. Rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And attention all you gamers out there. The Game In, that's with two N's. The Game In is a Quakertown-based, black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. And kids get discounts, because it's school time. You get an A, you get all A's. Yeah, head on over to the Game In. I may have a little something for you. If you've got a question about a game, looking for something hard to get, shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout-out, as always, goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at songadayman, again, two ends at songadayman on Twitter. Well, everybody, uh, welcome, welcome. Um, I'm going to um, do my best to keep within time today because uh, – I actually have a place to be at uh, 11.30 um, this this fine morning. No, no, there's not something major going on. It's just that uh, Shaggy Dog's getting a haircut. So uh, <laughs> I've been waiting for a long time and been putting it off for too long. Uh, but 
after I get my hair cut, uh, I am going to be uh, using the opportunity of already being out of the house to start uh, delivering some yard signs um, for the upcoming elections, which I'm very excited. I picked them up yesterday, delivered a load yesterday, got some more to kind of um, deliver out today. Um, pretty excited about that. And uh, since Amy is here this morning, I'll say once again, Amy, thank you for the yard signs uh, for uh, for that special delivery. I've got them uh, centrally displayed um, out there in front. My good Fetterman and my Shapiro signs, uh, as I've said, is as I've said to everybody on this show over and over again, as frustrated as I get with Josh Shapiro's campaign and some of the moves that he's pulling to kind of like, you know, whatever, I don't know, cozy up to the to the conservatives. Um, I'm still going to damn well going to vote for that dude and I'm going to campaign for him because the alternative is like, you know, the next step in the uh, the fall towards fascism. So um, and we're already well on our way. So no no need to kind of uh, give it a nudge, if you will. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you've been watching the, I'm sure that everybody who's listening to the show has seen the images that are coming out of Florida and it really is quite devastating. Um, I, I, I have to admit, um, the, the, the reporting on it, on the storm initially, um, I, I was, I, it didn't have that same, I, I wasn't expecting this, this kind of devastation in the way it looked, I knew it was going to be horrible. Right. I mean, obviously everybody knew it was gonna be horrible, but there was this weirdness to it and I just couldn't quite place it. Cause I remember I, I was actually, I was actually, the conversation was with myself. I was going to think, who was I talking? I was like, actually just talking to myself. Um, this is kind of where I do most of my talking these days. I talk with myself. Um, but the I was I was having this conversation with myself, and I was saying, you know, God, a Category Four storm. They're saying it's a Category Four storm. Is this this is why doesn't it sound like this? You know, people why aren't they sounding like alarm bells? There was just kind of like weird calmness around it, and maybe that was just my experience. I I, I don't know. But to see the devastation that is wrought across Florida is just something. I mean, like that Fort Myers Beach, that island just being leveled. Um, the, uh, New York times, uh, on the daily, it's morning podcast this morning was, uh, did some reporting from there and, you know, just interviewing some people that were, uh, that were living there that kind of lived through it, that, um, you know, it's just, it's just wrecked. It's devastated. And the storm surge, um, this, this one guy that they opened with, um, in the interview, the storm surge came so quickly, right? He was one of these one of these people, like, you know, and he, he talked openly about it. It's like, ah, you know, they always say storm surge, they always get it wrong. It's not going to be that big deal. And he looked out his window and he's like, oh, there's some puddles out there in the road, right? And then kind of, you know, a couple minutes later looks out, oh, wait, the street is all flooded. Like, and now there seems to be a current going down this, down that. And he's like, a couple, you know, a few minutes later, go by, looks out, uh-oh, the water is starting to go up the backyard into the door. I better get out of here. And, you know, came in so quickly that, you know, before he could fully get out of there, right, the the waters were already kind of like half a tire high in his truck as he kind of pulled out. I mean, that gives you a sense of how devastating it was. And then the day after the storm, um, you know, you have these kind of drone coverage and helicopter pictures of what's gone. It's just like, you know, the flooding is still there, um, like people under six feet of water. I mean, it's it's, it's incredible. And um <laughs> I, you know, this doesn't help matters to point out the fact that this is our future. I mean, what we're seeing in Florida right now, this is this is going to be more and more normal, right? They have, 
you know, I looked at I looked at some of the uh, I, I listening to the story yesterday about the um, the construction of some of these these towns uh, around Fort Myers and um, some of these other kind of seaside towns in Florida, you know, that were just kind of built up out of the swamp that um, real estate speculators and, you know, in many cases, fraudsters, but, you know, basically created these towns out of nothing by, you know, basically building on areas that certainly shouldn't be have been built upon, um, but people be more than willing to come and get it, right? Um, and building out these communities and these communities are going to disappear. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 I've been thinking a lot about this. We've been, um, in my class, my class activist writing media, we, um, we've been talking about this, this concept of, um, um, oh my God, I'm just going to, I'm blanking on the, on the, the concept. This is horrible. Um, but it, it'll come to me, but, um, it's basically a concept by Corey Doctorow, who's um, was basically saying, look, you know, people get to a certain point in their um, in their ability to ignore something um, to, you know, basically to the point where you when you're confronted with your own um, or you're confronted with disasters that um, that hit your peak indifference. That's what it's called. Um, peak indifference is basically you can only remain indifferent um, until you are directly impacted by these uh, by the devastation, devastating effects of things that are harder to see. Right. So, for example, the uh, I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but. Um, you know, if you think about climate change, climate change is an easy, like, easy one to see because or easy one to kind of fit in this because you have peak indifference is like, you know, at certain points, people like what we're seeing in Florida, it may be climate deniers until you can't be a climate denier anymore because your home keeps on getting devastated. Right. Uh, and you're no longer able to rebuild. And now you are a climate refugee. You know, um, the problem with this. Right. And, you know, and, and basically what he's saying in this piece is that that's kind of like a, a, a relatively normal process where whereby people. And many things that are out there, you know, whether it's smoking cigarettes, whatever, but you don't kind of uh, recognize things or deny things up or be, remain indifferent to them until they're no longer able to. The problem is if if you can't rely upon that um, for solutions, because in many cases, the things that we're facing, whether we're talking about global inequality, whether we're talking about climate change, um, if you wait to that point, which we apparently this is what we're going to do. But if you wait until that point, um, it's too late. There's no going back, right? And you smoke cigarettes your entire life, right? And then you get, then you're up to stage four cancer. It's not like you can decide, like, oh, okay, I guess they were right about the uh, cigarettes causing cancer, right? No, it's too late. Um, just like what we're doing here with doubling down on, uh, you know, carbon emissions, we see, um, you know, thank God Joe Manchin's bill to uh, ease permitting processes for new fossil fuel permits uh, th that went down or did not become part of the budget. Um, um, good for that, but we're not taking the kind of measures we need to take in order to stave off um, the worst aspects of climate change. And frankly, um, even remediation efforts, you know, the idea that we're going to um, start building seawalls and all this other stuff um, that we're just kind of accept our climate, you know, catastrophic climate future, um, even the remediation things that you need to do just to kind of prepare or adapt, that's not even happening. 
Um, so there's big questions about what's going to happen. Um, one story that I thought I actually put in the show notes, but apparently never made it in here, is that a um, report came out just this week, for example, that um, in Switzerland, the uh, glaciers are melting at an unprecedented late, uh, rate. Um Due to uh, due to climate change, uh, this is from reporting from CNN. Swiss glaciers have recorded their worst melt rate since records began more than a century ago, losing six percent of the remaining volume this year, or nearly double the previous record of 20, uh, 2003. Monitoring body uh, uh, Glamos said on Wednesday, the melt was so extreme this year that bare rock that had remained buried for millennia reemerged at one site, while bodies and even a plane lost elsewhere in the Alps decades ago were recovered. Other small glaciers all but vanished. Um, and now this is a uh, quote. We knew that with climate scenarios that this situation would come at least some t- somewhere in the future, unquote. Matt, Matthias Huss, head of the Swiss Glacier Monitoring Network, or GLAMOS, uh, told Reuters, quote, and realizing that the future is already uh, is already right here, right now, this was maybe the most surprising or shocking experience this summer. Um, you know, so that's, that's what I mean about, you know, when we're, we're already there. Um, it's quite tricky, quite tricky indeed. Um, but anyways, um, now we see that the, the storm Ian is going to, you know, make landfall again in South Carolina, apparently this afternoon. Um, and then we'll see remnants of that go through the, um, you know, kind of throughout the Northeast, but it, it just, you know, it really makes you wonder what's it what's it going to take. And now, meanwhile, you've got, you know, obviously in Florida, you've got Ron DeSantis, the governor of governor of Florida, who's been a climate denier, who's basically ignoring it. Now, of course, even though he voted against, for example, um, he he was a guy who voted against funding for uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy victims because said the federal government shouldn't be kind of like giving handouts to, you know, hur- you know, hurricane victims. Now, of course, he's like welcome with open arms, the federal government coming in and pouring as much money into rebuilding Florida's possible and basically saying that is uh what they need to do good morning kirsten good morning so anyways uh so there's that and i think we're going to be living with the consequences of this for quite some time uh other thing that kind of really just like you know it's just one of these days right it's one of these mornings where i find like just little things that are just really digging into me um and this was one of them this biden's department of education basically changed the rules for some student loan borrowers Right. Um, And they basically, you know, did they do that because, oh, they want to make sure that more people got access to the, uh, you know, the promised debt relief or that they, um, you know, were going to be um, uh, clarify things and make the make the uh, um, make the process, you know, more streamlined. So it'd be easier. Nope. Instead, what they did is, uh, well, I'll just read this. this is from reporting from Politico. This is in a reversal. The education department said on Thursday it would no longer allow borrowers who have federal student loans that are that are owned by private entities to qualify for the relief program. The administration had previously said borrowers would have a path to receive $10,000 to $20,000 of loan forgiveness. So basically, there's a group of folks out there um, that um, I'm trying to remember you're talking about. Uh, several million people now, look, for about 45 million people are going to see this debt relief, but about several million people, right, that originally were told that they were going to have access to debt relief, right, um, that's just got removed. That just got pulled away, right? And why? Well, because you've got these Republican governors, uh, or sorry, attorneys general, a group of six GOP attorneys general, they, they're suing 
to block loan forgiveness, right? That's from Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, and South Carolina, right? So they basically are kind of petitioning to ask a federal judge to strike down a debt cancellation program saying that it's illegal and unconstitutional, right? Now, look, the Biden administration supposedly sat on their promise. They said in his campaign for president that he was going to kind of cut $10,000 in student loan um, debt. You were pushed by um, by Elizabeth and then, then did nothing. Right. And they were pushed by Elizabeth Warren and Chuck Schumer, among a whole bunch of other folks, basically saying, no, no. Like, but those two in particular, Schumer and Warren, said it should be $50,000 in relief. Right. Um, and we're pushing for them. So you have the authority to do this and so on. The administration didn't do anything. For the longest time, they kept on saying, well, we're waiting for a full review from our legal and educational and blah, 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 blah. A process that went on for like a, over a year. And then when they finally got the report, right, for some strange reason, they wouldn't release the report. Oh, yeah, we got it. We got the memo. And they're like, reporters like, well, what is it? And they're like, well, we'll talk about it in due time. So. They had to report. They've been. They sat on it for for a long, long time. They had all this time to review it, and then they decide they're going to do the policy, and then they do the policy, and people are like, "Yay! This is a great thing!" And then the minute that Republican attorneys general, because you knew they're going to do it anyways, right? The minute that they they said that they're going to go after him, they're going after the policy and sue it. They're like, "Oh, oh God, we're going to backpedal." How could you not be prepared for that? How? Supposedly you were doing all these machinations behind the scenes, but no, turns out you just wanted to avoid it because you were afraid from beginning that doing good things for people was going to somehow hurt you as a party. That is so freaking frustrating to me. And so now you've basically taken like, you know, million or so people, several million people, and basically said, yeah, you know what? I know you were happy about that, but I'm going to pull that away. Guess what that does to you politically? Instead of staying in and fighting them. Because look, let's just say, for example, that the Republican attorney general, attorneys general, go forward and they push for this lawsuit. Imagine if the Biden administration went to the went went to the bully pulpit, right? They're, you know, kind of had their communications people kind of out there answering questions about that. Say we disagree with this and we we are gonna stand behind the students that the, for this debt relief and we are gonna fight this every step of the way because the Republicans are trying to take it away from you because they, they don't believe that we can do good things for people. They want you to remain in debt. And then you hang it on those Republicans' heads. This is not brain surgery. This is basic politics. You put that over there in accent. You said you own it. And you constantly remind everybody out there that they, those Republicans, attorneys general, are trying to sue the government to and send it to a potentially, you know, a six to three right wing Supreme Court so that they can take things away from you. Just when you thought you were going to get a little break in your life, those Republicans come in and say, no, suffer. Why wouldn't you do that as a political party? But no, the Democrats, they and they don't even go out. They don't even have the freaking guts to go out and make a huge public statement about it. No, they release this stuff quietly until some, again, reporters who cover the stuff kind of notice it. Like, hey, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. what about this thing? 
it's just, uh, it's incredible. And it just gives you a little clue into this, too. Who's been lobbying, right? So let's see. There are significant, this is from Politico, there are significant business interests that depend on the federal, uh, federally guaranteed loan program, a wide range of private lenders, banks, guarantee agencies, loan servicers, and investors, right? The debt collectors and the banks that have screwed us again and again. That industry is, uh, that industry is widely seen both inside and outside the administration as presenting the greatest legal risk to the debt relief program. Many of those companies face economic losses when they lose borrowers who convert their federal, federally guaranteed loans into new loans that are made directly by the uh, education department through a process known as consolidation. Did you get that? So what they're saying is that because those banks and those debt service agencies and the debt collectors may lose out on money because students are saying, oh, I'm going to consolidate my loans over here so that I can get some relief. And those debt collectors say, wait a minute, wait a minute, then I'm out of work. And the Biden administration is being is being scared by those people, ultimately being complicit in that system. I, I don't even understand it. I don't even understand it. Hey, Emily, good morning. So that's just one of these things, right? This, I mean... This gets at one of one of these threads that we talk about on the show all of the time about what it means to do politics, right? To be aggressive and unafraid in our politics. Frankly, the ten thousand to twenty thousand dollars in student in, in debt in debt cancellation, right? That will number one that was going to like actually materially help real people immediately, right? It was a, it was a, we could even call it a capital G good. I was going to say small G good, but no, it was like, it was a good, right? Was it sufficient? No. Did it solve the underlying problem that's happening in higher education and the way that we deal with higher education in this country? No. But did it do a thing that was good? Yes, it did. And it showed, it demonstrated that we could do these things. Instead, we have the Department of Education or the Biden administration's Department of Education basically giving the message to everybody that says, well, you know what? Maybe we can't do good things. Remember when Hillary Clinton said, you know, Bernie keeps pl- promising people a pony. We can't give a pony. <laughs> Remember? I mean, what? that's not an exact quote, but it's like that. Right. What Bernie was running. Right. And, and Hillary Clinton's critique of Bernie said, well, he keeps on promising the ponies. What Bernie Sanders understood in his campaign did is like, look, we might not get the pony this time around, but we're going to fight for the pony because we believe we deserve the pony. And the pony in this situation was like Medicare for all. And Hillary Clinton at that time said, well, no, you can't have you can't have the pony. Now, in this country, we don't do ponies in this country. So we're not even going to try. You know, matter of fact, we're going to tell you all the reasons why we're concerned why this wouldn't work in this country. To make it sound like it can't happen. To keep everybody cynical and in despair. But for Democrats, that's a liability because they need people to come out to vote. Republicans benefit when they suppress the vote. But when you get Democrats doing this kind of garbage... You're complicit in the suppression. Do you see what I'm saying? 
You're complicit in the suppression because what you're doing is that you're reinforcing the argument that we can't do good things. Why? I have no idea. Who said this is a winning strategy? You got me. And they even know it. And that's why they didn't make a public, a really strong public announcement about it. That's because why they try to sneak it under the radar. Because they want to try to still get the bank out of it, the midterm elections. Because guess what? Because they know what motivates people. But they're also got their kind of eyes square on those bankers, you know, that are filling their pockets. Do we need fundamental change in this country? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, come on. This is baseline stuff. I told you. I warned you. I warned you that there's some things that are really, uh, really, like, you know, again, the story itself, this is like one of these things, right? Because the story itself wasn't like crashing headlines. And obviously, in relationship to what just happened in Florida um, and, and a whole range of other things, this one particular thing isn't earth shattering. But nonetheless, it's the kind of stuff that I'm just like, why are we giving up? Why are the leaders of this party choosing to give up instead of fight? I don't know. I don't know. But anyways. Um, oh, I wanted to flag this one story for folks. I saw this come up on Twitter. Um, and where to go, where to go, where to go. There is this. Why am I missing it? Here we go. I'll just pull it up over here. So um, check this out. So this came up in the Dallas, the Dallas Morning News and uh, the uh, reporters, uh, Talia Richmond and Megan Mangrum, um, covering what is happening in the North Texas. And the, the title of the article is called Conservative Takeover of North Texas Schools, Start of a New Playbook to Expand GOP Power? Question mark. It says PAC funded wins in local school districts stir up Republicans base ahead of the elections. Now, that right there. PAC funded wins in local districts stir up Republicans base ahead of the elections. You will remember, longtime listeners of this show, of, of us talking about this precisely during the last round of abort, like uh, school board elections, right, last year, ahead of that and well before that, that the reason why you have these uh, this critical race theory stuff, the reason why that you've got... Um, you know, the fights against masks, why you've got this kind of new kind of parental rights stuff that is all folded into a playbook that is about winning Republican elections and shoring up power. Yes, it has to do with the play with, you know, Christian nationalism. Yes, it has to do with white supremacy. Yes, it has to do with all this stuff. But that's who the Republicans are now and where the Republicans differ Right. From the Democrats. Right. The Republicans understand that they want those that they are going to reflect their base. But in order to kind of enact those things from the white supremacists and from the Christian nationalists, they have to actually occupy positions of power. And so that's what they're going to do at all, at all costs. And so we said the school board election, the school boards were one of the ways of doing this. And we, of course, we saw 
um, Paul Martino dumping tons of money into his pack and into kind of $10,000 at a time into school district races. Uh, we saw Jim Worthington, right, get behind the kind of, you know, you know train, the, the Trump train to uh, the uh, January 6th insurrection. We saw the um, the money from folks like Jeffrey Yass, which we'll talk about here, being funded into, be, you know, getting behind this kind of critical race theory stuff at the school board levels. Why? Because they're looking to build constituencies, organized constituencies that will begin, to, will help that party, the Republican Party, the right wing of the Republican Party take power. That's what this is about. So, so check this out. So this is from the Dallas Morning News. And again, um, let's see. Da, 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 da. Uh, let me see if I, I thought I highlighted it. Hold on a second. Sorry about this. Um, okay, so they're talking basically about um, about the school board meeting, and um, once again, we see sweeping set of policies being proposed that target transgendered student pronouns, library books, and the ways teachers could talk about race, gender, and sexuality. Literally, the identical thing that has happened in the Penridge School District that's happening in Central Bucks and happening kind of throughout our region. Right. So this is it was the first school board meeting of the new year in Grapeville, uh, Coleyville, and trustees were set to approve a sweeping set of policies that targeted transgender students, pronouns, library books and the way teachers could talk about race, gender and sexuality. The proposers proposals drew nearly 200 people who testified late into the night. And then with limited debate among the trustees, the policies passed on a four to three vote. Right. Just what we see happening here in Penridge. Right. And this is also the interesting thing about the way that this plays out. And this is why this strategy among on the right is so uh, kind of effective is because like the Dallas Morning News is covering this because, you know, is covering this school board because it's in its you know readership area and it's covering it as a local issue. Right. Yes, there's kind of mentions in here about this national stuff, but it's covering it primarily as a local issue. And that's how most people experience this stuff. So those of those of us in Penridge, right, those people in uh, Palisades, those folks in Central Bucks, those folks in North Penn are all experiencing it in their own school districts. Reporting on it is happening in that way. Right. And so we're necessarily forced at resisting at the local level, which is good that we can access it that way. But we also need to understand that kind of that national strategy. This is precisely why we had Alyssa Bowen on the on on Out the Coop Live last week, um, because of their reporting is actually documenting some of the money behind all of this stuff. So we could begin to kind of fill out our understanding of what this national um, what this national agenda is. And I also think this helps us, you know, by paying attention to that national component of this that helps us basically stave off those ideas like, well, let's look for the good Republicans. we got to understand the Republican Party, this is what the Republican Party is right now. And there is no benefit for anybody to get all nostalgic about some, you know, supposed past of golden past of Republicans, right? That doesn't, that's not our lives anymore, right? For folks like me, that was never our lives, right? <laughs> but, but I'm saying it's like, let's be clear. So, um, Shannon Bar um, Shannon Braun, uh, she was the school board vice president, um, published an opinion piece uh, that came out and said, what happened in, in the school district um, that I just talked about isn't an accident, it's a model. Um, and at least she called this out. 
So here's what the, this says in this article that, quote, the shift in the grapevine Coleyville reflects how North Texas may be the testing ground for far right strategies to influence public education across the state. Newly elected trustees established a conservative majority and just weeks into the school year, they're taking action. The political issues driving divisive fights at school board meetings are likely to amp up as the November elections and legislative sessions nears. A wave of new school board members in several uh, Tarrant County districts elected with money and support of wireless provided uh, wireless provider Patriot Mobile and other conservative PACs formed by parents have ushered in swift challenges and made national headlines. Right. The PAC targeted 11 Tarrant County school board seats and won. And then as a result, right there. Oh, and then Patriot Mobile, basically, it brands itself as America's only Christian conservative wireless service provider, right? Just so if it wasn't clear ahead of there. So now I don't want to go, don't need to go into all this. Again, links will be in the show notes, um, or at least references to them. Um, well, I can talk about it. I don't think another thing. Um, but um, especially if you're in the podcast show notes, you get the direct links. But um, the the important thing here is that we're kind of noticing this and kind of saying, okay, here's just another example. So I think about articles like this, when we're seeing this happening in other school districts, right, as our becomes part of our ammunition, right, as um, and our organizing tools that when we're talking to other folks about what's happening in the school district, um, um, what's happening in the school district, and um, so on. Um, uh, Kirsten says, can you please make mention of Ashley Ahas's, but the sentence isn't finished. What, what are you, what are you looking at, Kirsten? Let me know a little bit more about that. Um, and if you have a link, you can post it right in chat, um, and I'll be happy to talk about it. Um, um, that'd be great. Um, so that's kind of just some, some of the stuff that's going on, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something else. I think that was one of these moments, um, Oh, her town hall posted above. Um, so apparently Kirsten, I think, tried to put in a link to her town hall, but it is not showing up in chat. Um, let me just see if uh, Kirsten, if you do me a favor, just kind of uh, message that to me on Twitter and uh, I'll be happy to talk about it. OK, um, that'd be great. And then I then I get if it's necessary, I can put in the um, the link from my end. Okay. So listen, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little about some stuff happening right here in PA. Um, good time to talk about uh, Ashley's, uh, Ashley Ehas's town hall coming up. Uh, she actually had a great um, kind of uh, post that went to Twitter too as well after the shootings at um, Roxborough um, High School um, uh, about the need for kind of action on kind of uh, gun control and stuff like that, which is pretty powerful. Um, so great. All right. So this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to get into some PA stuff. Um, I want to remind you, you can help support this show um, by uh, heading on over to patreon.com slash RC press, and you can become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. And make sure to kind of, uh, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the show, make sure you like this particular stream. Uh, and if you listen to us on our podcast, you know, give us those five star reviews. It helps other people find the show and kind of get the word out. So this is Kevin Mahoney, uh, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. We'll be back right after this quick break. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1892. That was the day that 29 leaders of the Homestead Steel Strike in Pennsylvania 
were charged with treason against the state. If you're a regular listener to Labor History in Two, you've heard about this strike before. The strike occurred because the steel company decided to reduce wages and crush the emerging union. When the workers refused to accept a pay cut, company manager Henry Clay Frick laid off the entire workforce. He hired Pinkerton guards to protect the strike breakers. But the workers of Homestead were not so easily put out of the plant. They fought back against the Pinkertons. Nine workers were killed, as were seven Pinkertons. Many more were injured on both sides. Strike leaders stood trial for murder. The jury found them innocent, but 29 strike leaders were arrested again. This time, they were charged with treason. During the trial, the Chief Justice of Pennsylvania instructed the grand jury, when a large number of men arm and organize themselves by divisions and companies, appoint officers and engage in a common purpose to defy the law, to resist its officers, and to deprive any portion of their fellow citizens of the rights to which they are entitled. It is a levying of war against the state, and the offense is treason. Despite this charge to the grand jury, the jury again refused to convict these strike leaders. However, paying legal fees and bail drained the strike finances. While leaders were kept in jail, the morale of the strike was broken. The Homestead Steel Mills were not unionized until well into the 20th century. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, we are now in our PA Focus segment two. Two. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, thank you for Kirsten uh, from Kirsten to uh, passing on the info. Um, uh, she's looking at, yes, Ashley Ehas. Um, she's running for Congress in the PA's first district. That's against the um, the uh, forced birther, um, anti-abortion, um, kind of pro-gun uh, Brian Fitzpatrick. Um, so Ashley Ehas is having a town hall, um, 10, six, which is, I'm sorry, let me get a, I think it's a Thursday. Yep. Thursday, Thursday, October 6th. That is next week at 7 PM in Doylestown. Uh, info on that is, uh, in our chat tonight, um, on YouTube. I also try to put it in today's show notes. A uh, little background, Ashley Ehas, Democrat and the only pro-choice candidate in this November's election. Um, she's running for U.S. Congress in the PA 1st District. She's hosting a town hall sponsored by the Doylestown Democrats. The whole purpose of town hall is to connect with the general public and answer questions about how Congress can impact our everyday lives, especially after the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. You can join her from 7 to 8 p.m. on October 6th at the Doylestown Borough Municipal Building to meet her and share your concerns as a vocal constituent. Uh, the link in the show notes, and if you're having trouble finding it, it's, in, it's on Facebook. It's a Facebook event. Um, the Facebook event is called the PA01, PA-01 Town Hall, Ashley Ehas for Congress, Our Future Post Dobbs. That is the name of it. You can look it up. Um, and I'll let everybody know that you're interested. I'm kind of uh, putting my interest in right there, and hopefully I'm going to be able to go because uh, that's actually at a time which I might actually be able to make it. Uh, I can't believe how many events that I've been wanting to go to. There was a great rally that was last week. Um, it was on a Wednesday, but could not make that because I was not home 
in time from work. Uh, but this one may actually fit within. It would be great to see it. Um, there's already a bunch of people that are interested. Make sure that you're getting in your interest and let folks know that you're coming as soon as possible over on their Facebook events page. Um, you can check that out. Thank you again to Kirsten for uh, sending us that info. Um, I'd like to encourage anybody to as well listen to the show, right? You know, especially those folks who are listening live. Um, and if you can't listen live, look, you got some things that uh, that are in the works. You got some important things that are coming up. You can just kind of, you know, head on over to Twitter. Uh, my DMs are open, and you can uh, you can let me know about stuff. I'd be happy to mention the stuff on the show um, and using this as much of a platform to get the word out as possible, right? Um, that's kind of a great, like, uh, you know, uh, one of the great things about uh, having really truly community rooted independent media, right? I and mean, this is kind of one of the Things that we can do use it as an amplifier of work that's already going on in our communities um so i wanted to just kind of uh send this out to folks to make sure that everyone has seen this at least um because um this thanks again comes to from one of our listeners um that flagged this for me earlier in the week and um it's a fantastic piece um, by ali shaw um, from and this is from the uh, grassroots watchdog group called Little Sis um, for their their kind of blog or public online publication called Eyes on the Ties, and it's called Jeffrey Yass, the billionaire behind Pennsylvania's right wing machine. Um, this is a fantastic um, kind of investigative piece, very similar in nature from what we uh, what we heard from um, Alyssa Bowen from. Um, uh, True North Research, right? Tracking money, tracking the organizations, and identifying the people that are involved in this, so that we can be prepared. This is a uh, you know a grassroots um, grassroots uh, kind of research organization, watchdog group that is doing precisely that. And in this piece, really documents how Jeffrey Yas um, um, Yas Yas um, basically has been dumping crazy amounts of money in here so let, let me just um uh, let me here i'll read part of this this is under in the report so you get a sense of it follow the money jeffrey yas's packs so yas i'm reading directly from the report here yas relies on a right-wing group called commonwealth partners chamber of entrepreneurs to control two packs that spend his millions of dollars to influence politics in the state matthew broyette Right. This is you've heard. It. I mean, Sean Kitchen, when he and I used to do this show on Fridays, he would be talking about Matthew Briette all the time um, for exactly this. He is the founder and CEO of the Commonwealth Partners and manages the two YAS funded PACs, the Commonwealth Children's Choice Fund and the Commonwealth Leaders Fund. And since 2017, Jeffrey Yass has funneled forty three thousand forty three million six hundred and thirty thousand dollars to the students first pack which then donated thirty five thousand five hundred or thirty five million five hundred dollars five hundred dollars and five hundred and one hundred ten dollars to the commonwealth children's choice fund and one million seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to the commonwealth leaders fund the children's choice fund then also donated $23,973,000 to the Commonwealth Leaders Fund over the same period. These PACs then donate millions to Republican Party leaders in the state and distribute the rest of the, um, to other conservative PACs connected to Bruyette and the right-wing network that he plays a major role in. Right. Um, now, that's the kind of key. Now, uh, we have to say is that a bunch of this, uh, you know, some of this, this is all, again, just like Alyssa Bowen said on the show a couple of weeks back, this is all stuff that is kind of pulled from public sources. So we know that, for example, um, PA Spotlight um, 
first released a report, which they cite in this um, in this report, uh, first put out a report that was tracking um, Jeffrey Yass. It was trying to get his name out there, basically saying people are unaware of it. And like they say at the beginning of this piece, look, we know about the Koch brothers now, the Koch network. We know about so the state policy network, America's prosperity, the, the American Legislative Exchange Council. These are starting to become more familiar to people. And some of those backers, we've talked about Paul Martino and the role that he has played here in Bucks County. Um, but Jeffrey Yass has been able to kind of be like try to keep himself two or three steps removed, and at least of his name from where all this fund is going. But as you can see, it's these layers of PACs that are channeling money um, to influence and support these right-wing machines. And just like we we heard from Melissa Bowen, it's like one guy, <laughs> right? And creating this kind of network, the funding stream comes from this, because look, we've consolidated wealth in the hands of so few, and these people can now have a disproportionate um, impact upon our politics. Um, and the rest of this report goes in a document the ways in which this is a directly influenced legislation in the state. Um, and like um, Shaw says in, in that report, you know, like these right wing organizations that spend his money constantly and successfully lobby to cut corporate taxes, bust unions, block climate change solutions, ban abortion, target trans youth and prevent what the right calls critical race theory from being taught in the schools. Right. Literally, Jeffrey Yass has like his hands in all of it. Right. Um, and it is one of these major funders, which we need to kind of push back again. Um, Kirsten also said postcard update. Thanks for promoting a few weeks back. Indivisible sent um, sent twenty one hundred postcards to connect to uh, strongly pro-choice folks who don't always vote in midterms. We have eighteen thousand out the door. I really appreciate the help of getting out the coop listeners who volunteered their time um, out the coop listeners who volunteered their time to get those postcards out. Uh, thank you so much um, for doing that work. That's fine. Oh, so 21,000. I'm sorry. Uh, Kirsten, 21,000, not 2,100. 21,000 postcards from Indivisible that were sent out. Um, and thanks in part to the folks um, the folks that stepped up to the plate and uh, did some of that work. Oh, that's great. Uh, what else do I have to say about this? Okay, uh, big, big news, really close to home here. Wednesday, Penridge School Board President Joan Cullen was named the worst person in the world by Keith Oberman. That was uh, quite good on his podcast after Penridge High School Banned Books Weeks display uh, were banned. Right. Um, that's ends a 15 year tradition. And I think let me see if I still have it queued up here. It doesn't look like it's still queued up. Oh, that sucks. Uh, well, I'll have to kind of put out another time. That stinks. Let me see if I can get back to it. I think I accidentally searched for something that was uh, that covered it up. Oh, well, I had it queued up. I wanted to play a little bit of it, but uh, here, there. But yes, indeed, um, this week uh, after Will Bunch uh, posted, uh, wrote his column about what was happening at Penridge School District and them looking to basically uh, strip away uh, teachers' advocacy, what they're calling advocacy rights and kind of banning banned books week, <laughs> right? That was the big thing his article was about. Like, this is like, you know, I mean, I don't know what you need, like, what more you need to say. You're banning banned books week, right? Banned books week is there to kind of highlight that, you know, how, like, you know, censorship kind of has continued to play a role and how important it is to have free access to information in a kind of a democratic society and, and uh, you know, and that we should not allow kind of like religious extremism basically to kind of override our access to um, to literature and stuff. Right. Um, especially when you're talking about literature that is age appropriate, like as these things are. Now, look, your ultra right wing conservative nut jobs out there may basically find that some of the things are controversial to them. 
right? That they know, oh my gosh, my children, right? That they may not like that. Right. They may have kind of issues with that. Right. And first of all, there was already a process by which, you know, for, for those right wing kind of like religious fundamentalists and Christian nationalists out there, they could go in and they could basically tell them, I don't want my child touching that kind of stuff. And there was a process already in place. But instead, we flipped the script. Right. Instead of those parents. Right. Who live in the dogma of Christian nationalism. Right. Instead of them having to do the work to say, I don't want my child to be part of secular society and I don't want my child to have access to the tools of a democratic governance. No, I want them to live in my sheltered kind of God will do everything world. Instead of them having the burden of going in and doing that, no, 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 now we're flipping it. Because they have their issues, because they don't want their child to do this, now they're taking the books away from everybody. So now it's up to people who are want their kids to have access to the kind of the best secular um, 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 kind of information, want to have their kids kind of capable and skilled and kind of engaging with kind of critical issues and confronting differences and confronting the ways that um, that 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 their own views may be challenged or to find be able to actually have access to literature just as part, not as a special request, but as part of a curriculum that suddenly I can see myself in that literature in ways that I couldn't before. Because for the first time, I'm actually sitting in here, I'm finding out that there's, oh my God, look, there's another kind of, you know, kind of, uh, kind of another kind of adolescent kid who's struggling with their sexuality. And they're talking about it in normal terms, not like it's some kind of like, you know, curse from, from demons or something like that. I had experience this week, which underscored how important that stuff is. But I don't want to talk about it today, but uh, so maybe someday. <clears throat> how critical that stuff is. And so instead, what we've done, we basically suppressed democracy. Right. And put the Christian nationalists in the driver's seat. And this is, again, you don't need a majority of people. <laughs> This is exactly what happened. This is a vocal, well-organized, well-funded minority, minority with a national playbook that is going after power. And they're, made, they're, they're forcing us to submit to their will. That's what's going on. It's like, uh, it's pretty crazy. So, uh, you know, Keith Oberman, Oberman called Joan Cullen out, named her the uh, worst person in the world this week after she, well... As he says in his podcast, is it's not clear who pulled the trigger on this one, figuratively speaking, of course. Whether it was direct a directive from the school board, whether it was directive from the uh, the superintendent, whether by the way, Cyril, you're one hundred percent correct uh, about Bolton. Um, I uh, had a moment of weakness, which I was trying to trying to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, and. Uh, I should have known better. <laughs> so we don't know if it came from Bolton. We don't know if it came from the school board. We don't know if it came from the principal of the high school. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that the superintendent is right there in the high school, right, in that same building, which those things are not necessarily, those are blurred lines at the very least. Um, wherever it came from, Joan Cullen was at the head of and, and being responsible for it. So she gets named worst person in the uh, world this week. <clears throat> in other news, on Tuesday, uh, 
Penridge passed a uh, what they're calling a, a ban on advocacy materials. <clears throat> OK, now uh, they seem to have done some wordsmithing on this, thanks probably to the hiring of their um, new PR consultant firm. Um, to basically change a little bit ways that this works. Now, they are going to eliminate, um, and this came out because they say, the school board says, that there was a few student, a few teachers who were kind of inappropriately advocating kind of uh, things in the classroom. Do they give evidence of that? No. They just say they've heard. Right? Where's the evidence? What specifically they're talking about? They don't say. And how is this lives rise to the level of requiring an overhaul of policy? We don't know. They just say it's required. And so on Tuesday night, uh, Monday night, there was an in-service day, so they didn't have the normal meeting on Monday. They had it on Tuesday. Um, they uh, It was supposed to be the this kind of like first reading of this new policy, this new advocacy policy. Um, but they decided also by majority vote to um, fast track the vote Right. It wasn't unanimous, like two. There were two objectors, but the seven to two vote um, to fast track the debate and, and make a decision upon it on Tuesday because they said, we've heard all the sides. We don't need to talk about this anymore because they recognized the pressure was building. So they had to force the vote to pass the policy. And now it went into effect. So and here it is. So in a staff meal, uh, email Wednesday, Penridge Superintendent David Bolton highlighted the changes that would take place as a result of the advocacy policy, as well as new guidelines around classroom and library books. All advocacy-related materials should be removed from district desks, walls, doors, and hallways by October 4th, the email said, including crosses and other religious symbols, LGBTQ pride materials, abortion rights and anti-abortion materials, political party symbols, or geopolitical materials, that's what they're calling them, such as Ukrainian flags. The items should not be removed while students are in class. So it has to be done under the cover of darkness, outside of the prying eyes of students who would realize what was going on if the teachers were taking them down in front of them. The email noted the policy doesn't prohibit staff from speaking with or supporting students and families or discussing advocacy-related matters when it applies to the school curriculum. What that means? Who the hell knows? Now, he emphasized in this that this does not this policy does not affect what students are allowed to wear or what student clubs may display in their buildings. So you remember last year there was this big kind of like, you know, Christian display, right, of kind of God will come for you and this kind of really right wing Christian stuff happening. in the Well, that's fine. Right. And I believe I don't have evidence for this This is my gut feeling on this. I'll, I'll say that right off, right off the bat that I believe that there was too much pushback from students. I know my kids were pissed off about this, about saying, oh, if I wear my diversity shirt, that they have, they just, I mean, they just wear it. They don't wear it as kind of like, it's because it's like a value. It's like a normal value, right? If I wear that, am I going to be kind of sent home? Like literally, and they're getting mad about it, justifiably so. My guess is that they got so much pushback on that that they weren't going to do this. Because also, I'm sure that those religious parents were saying, like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me my kid can't wear a crucifix around their neck? They can't wear a shirt that says God is love all over it? Right? I'm sure that's what happened. But anyways, um, 
They say there's going to be in the coming days and weeks, the superintendents of the district plans to meet with faculty and staff or meet with staff to clarify questions about both advocacy and resource materials, new guidelines. And I love this, right? Uh, this, I guess this is reporting in Philadelphia Inquirer. Quote, it's tough to use advocacy because that word means so many different things, he said. So if someone says to me, are you advocating for students? The answer is yes. But are we trying to persuade them to believe something? No. How about this? How about we need to basically say that schools should take a stand on certain things? I'm in favor of saying, yeah, we should support democracy. Like by teaching democracy in our classes, right, by teaching that and kind of teaching about like, I don't know, what happened in Nazi Germany as bad. Am I therefore advocating for non-fascist things? I mean, that could, that argument certainly could be made. And they're going to have to do mental gymnastics in order to kind of like figure all that stuff. Well, no, that's legit. No, that's a perspective. The fascists have different perspectives on things. So how can we be advocating for a system of government that is non-fascistic? You see what I'm saying? It's so underhanded in what they're doing. It's crazy. So uh, there is, by the way, in the Philadelphia Inquirer, an absolutely awesome picture of Joan Cullen. I'm just going to say that. Just go to the link and check it out. It's just fantastic. She's all like, <laughs> it's great. Um, so anyways, that just happened. Um, so that's going to be passed and we're going to have to see what happens here in the Penridge School District. Um, again, this is nothing new. We just think it's important to flag that and kind of make sure it's here. The other thing that just kind of literally just frustrated me a bit um, about this was uh, once again, I, I mean, you've heard me on the show say it before is that uh, I, the uh, the PSEA chapters in um, in Bucks County are just I, I, I just don't understand what's going on. And for me, at a very baseline, I mean, I am a I am a faculty member. I'm a member of a faculty union, right? And at the very most basic level, um, what I expect my union to do publicly is that when there's a tax on education, call them a tax on education. When there are policies that are being passed that are going to negatively impact my members, teachers. And it's going to put a chilling environment upon what happens in the classroom, the curriculum to protect their jobs. I am going to speak out and call it for what it is. Instead, it's this kind of language of like, yes, these new policies may present changes, not even challenges or not even conflicts or not even problems, but just changes may present changes throughout the Penridge School District as if it's just like, oh, like we're going to paint the school's walls different colors. No, but then he says, then this next part of the sentence is just basically, it's like, it's like boilerplate. It's like what you would say any other day. It says, our members, teachers, nurses, counselors, librarians, social workers, and psychologists who serve Penridge students remain steadfast in our mission to ensuring students feel welcome, valued, and encouraged to excel as learners. Of course you do. That's what you do. But that doesn't recognize that that commitment that all those folks have. That steadfast mission is under threat. 
And not only are you basically telling your teachers you will not stand for them, you're throwing LGBTQ students under the freaking bus, and you know it. You cannot not know it. And if a teacher's union is not going to stand for that, I don't know what the hell you're doing. This is what happens. This is, I see this happen. This happens in our own union, my own union. But when this mentality creeps in in the leadership of unions, that they have to be buddy-buddy with their bosses in order to make good backroom deals for their members, that corrupts the entire system. And I'll tell you what happens is it creeps in to the message that you're sending to your own members. Unions are supposed to be made up. There are democratic organizations. The members control the union. But too often, the leadership of those unions try to create a situation which members don't realize that they're the ones who run the show. They try to tell their members that, oh, no, well, we're going to get it for you. Don't worry, we'll take care of it. They want them to be passive, not active. And as a result, when members are threatened publicly or members try to organize, you don't get that support from the leadership. Like I say again and again and again. And there's very narrow reasons why that happens. Right? They're playing an insider political game, but that game is gone. The rules have changed. And yet, in the absence of an alternative explanation, I have to believe that they're still playing, the leadership of this union are still playing by the rules of the old game, where we're supposed to be buddy-buddy with the people. How are you going to be buddy-buddy with Joan Collins, with Joan Cullen, Joan Collins, (laughs) with Joan Cullen? How are you going to be buddy-buddy with her, given what she's doing? And why would you want to? You got me. My guess this has to do with the fact that for way too long, PSEA has ignored member organizing. And again, I'm going out such a limb right now. I'm probably going to piss people off. But I'm sorry. Look, I I have numerous teachers I know who are awesome unionists, who are union activists who work in PSEA. I actually think the reason, only reason I get so upset about this up is because I think we need PSA to be freaking strong as all hell. We need PSA to be a leader in this discussion. We need strong unions. And that includes... Going on in a limb once in a while, taking a few risks and advocating <laughs> for the integrity of our educational system. I mean, I don't know else how to say it. So whatever. That's my little secondary rant <laughs> for today. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Well, so listen, folks, uh, I'm going to have to wrap things up uh, today. Like I said, I got to head out of here a little bit early. I got an appointment uh, that I got to deliver some yard signs. Um, so, uh, I'm going to do just that. Just a quick reminder about the, uh, or a quick touch 
touch quickly on uh, stuff from last call. Really just cool stuff happening in space. I think the stuff that uh, the I was particularly like just blown away by watching the uh, DART mission on Monday. Um, this little this little satellite crashing into an asteroid to see if you can change its trajectory and watching a live stream of it, which just I don't know. It's just like one of these moments, right? It's one of these kind of like yeah, I'm an older person moment, right? When I'm just kind of seeing that, kind of thinking about that thing happening with something that was purely in kind of my imaginary, right? Something in science fiction and stuff when I was when I was young, and to see that actually happening on live live stream was just amazing. Um, just like the Juno spacecraft, which which you know, which I also mentioned here too, which you know sent back these amazing pictures of Europa. Where you can actually see the cracks in the ice and kind of some divots and different kind of uh, some because Europa, of course, is like a it's a it's an ocean planet basically, which covered by this thick crust of ice, um, and uh, and I was to say scientists suspect I don't want to say suspect that's a little bit too strong of a word, but they say look, there's certain conditions here that it's possible if we get to know more about this that given the amount of water that's on this uh, on this moon. Um, for all we know, right, there might be some of the uh, the building blocks of life there. So it'd be, you know, that's why they're going to investigate it and so on. So there's future missions coming up to Europa, too. So pretty amazing. Um, and that little uh, helicopter that could in the, the Martian helicopter ingenuity, uh, it was supposed to just have a few kind of test flights to see that, you know, it would be possible to have a uh, powered flight on Mars. Well, 33rd mission, 33rd mission um, and uh, kind of flying around. Checking out, uh, helping out uh, Perseverance navigate the terrain so that they can uh, investigate Mars for science of life. Pretty crazy stuff. Anyways, this is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, Want to thank everybody for uh, joining us on our live stream this morning. Uh, thank you for sending us on info. Uh, Want to remind you again that you've got this town hall coming up with Ashley Ehas for Congress, our future post Dobbs. Um, that will be on Thursday, October 6th from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, and that will be in the uh, Doylestown Borough Municip Municipal Building. Um, you can sh kind of show up and um, kind of take part in that. Again, that's October 6th from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, you can head on over to their Facebook event page. There's a link in today's chat. That we, I'll put a link in today's show notes. Um, that's the PA01 Town Hall, Ashley E. House for Congress, our future post jobs. Do check that out. All right, everybody. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I'm getting out of here and I'm going to get my main cut um, because it is uh, well past due time for that. Uh, have a good weekend, everybody. Uh, stay dry. I know we're going to get the remnants of um, a hurricane come through, but hope it's a good one. Keep the organizing going. We'll see you on the other side. See ya!